So we're talking about this series, Seven Deadly Sins, and we're saying that there are seven sins that can uh, grab hold of us and our desires that come within can lead us to the point where we would be led to death, spiritual death, but also then lots of damages that can happen to us physically, relationally, and other ways. And then we're looking at not only the sin, but we're also talking about how we can be free, how God can come in us and he can give us, he's already given us the tools, he's given us the information, he's given us his spirit so that we can be set free. If you would go ahead and grab your uh, message notes out of your program, you're going to be able to just jump in and you're going to be able to take some notes today. If you weren't here last Sunday when we set up the whole series, we ended up uh, talking about the sin of pride last week. Uh, based on the responses and uh, everything else that we did, we kind of set up the series. I think you might want to watch it online or you might want to go to the bookstore today and you can order a copy of it if you want to just listen to it, if you don't have you know, the access to be able to watch it. While you're in the bookstore, I want to encourage you to look at several of the pastor's picks, in particular uh, one by C.S. Lewis. It's called The Screwtape Letters. And uh, as we, our family got to read that a little bit this summer, we found that it really speaks throughout, almost on every page, about sins and how God wants to uh, set us free, but also how the enemy wants to entrap us in that way. So you're going to find several books. One that just deals with just sin. Others of them deal with the seven deadly sins and others that talk about being set free. So you can look at those uh, before you leave today. Now, what I found is fascinating as I began the series, I began thinking about it. What I found incredibly fascinating is how our culture think so much about the seven deadly sins, how our culture looks at the seven deadly sins, and it's kind of quite common that they would talk about them. Uh, I went out and watched a, uh, I actually purchased a DVD set from History Channel as they did a series on the seven deadly sins, because I wanted to know what that era, that, that part of culture might say about the seven deadly sins. There are movies made about the seven deadly sins. There are books written about the seven deadly sins. I remember as a teenager, and I was kind of wandering around a little bit, and I read some horror books, a series of horror books that were based on the seven deadly sins, and how, you know, someone would be led to decapitate someone else, or something like that, okay? You know how teenagers, we look, you know, got to look at that stuff. So there's books written about that kind of stuff. Also, as I talked about last week, saw an MSN article, and it listed celebrities, and beside every celebrity, it listed their sin. So it kind of went through it as to what, how they were guilty of these seven deadly sins. Uh, but, you know, fascinating. I discovered this week there's an actually a seven deadly sin app you can get. Okay, you can get this on your iPhone or your Droid. You can get this seven deadly sin app, and you go out and you can use this to be able to tweet your confession. Okay, tweet your confession. Now, you got to know, I'm not giving any kind of I, don't buy this, okay? So there we go. <laughs> I'm not giving my blessing on this, just like I don't give my blessing on movies made about this and anything else. But it's just fascinating to go out. I actually did some reading about this. And uh, uh, anger, honestly, uh, what they did with anger here, it's 30 bucks to buy this app on anger. But there's a lot of really good stuff about helping you through anger. But some of the others really don't really aren't that helpful. In fact, what I've discovered is what culture does is culture wants to gloss over the sins. Culture wants to make fun of the sins so that they don't feel so bad, so that it's okay if we give in to them because everybody does, right? And kind of looking at it that way, when the Bible... Bible says that if I give in to these sins, it actually leads to death. Now, we said last week, the seven deadly sins, you won't go to your Bible and find a list of here are the seven deadly sins in the Bible, okay? You won't find that in the Bible, even though they are from the Bible. In 375 AD, 
a monk who was looking around at the way that his society was working and seeing people falling and giving in to temptations, he separated himself. He went out into that desert to separate himself, to be all alone. And while he was all alone, he prayed and listened to God and he reflected on what were the temptations, the more common temptations that seemed to make people fall and to end up in trouble. And so he came up with a list. Eight was on the original list, eight temptations. And in 590 AD, that list was, you know, uh, cut down to sevens and then called sins. And so we have the seven deadly sins. And that's what we're looking at in this series together. Now look at this verse. It's kind of the theme verse. It kind of gives us the idea about sin from James chapter one. Uh, it says this, temptation comes from where? Our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful action. So desire, action, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to, finish it for me. Okay, I'm not sure you really agree. So it gives birth to death. death. It gives birth to death. And that's why there's seven deadly sins. And the sins we're looking at in the list are pride, greed, envy, anger, lust, gluttony, and then sloth or laziness will be the last sin that we look at in this series. And we're looking at each of the sins, and so it's kind of like the sin of the week. And so you can come here and you can hear us talk about the sin of the week. And well, the sin of the week this week that leads to death separates us from God and destroys our lives is greed. It's greed. Greed has always been an issue, as we're going to see. And if you study history, you can learn a lot more about how greed has always been an issue. But it seems to really be an issue in today because it's actually in today's world, perceived as normal and acceptable to be a greedy person. In fact, the dark side of capitalism is that it requires a little bit of greed to kind of keep it fueled. The dark side of capitalism is it requires greed to keep it fueled up. In the 1980s, there was a movie about greed. It was called Wall Street. Some of you may have seen that movie called Wall Street. And then in 2010, they made a kind of sequel to that movie, and it was called Wall Street again. But it, then the, the subtitle of that movie was Money Never Sleeps. In the first movie, Michael Douglas was in, and he made a quote that greed is good. He goes to prison, finds out it wasn't, goes to prison, gets out of prison, and he's getting out of prison about the same time that the financial debacle is going on in our nation with the, the mortgage lending and the housing crisis and the banking industry and all the things that we learned. And so he makes a speech to some college students in which he reflects on what's been going on since he was in prison, since he got out, as he looks at the issue of greed. Let's watch this. Uh, someone reminded me the other evening that I once said, Greed is good. Now it seems it's legal. <laughs> but folks, you know, it's greed that makes my bartender buy three houses he can't afford with, with no money down. And it's uh, greed that makes uh, your parents uh, refinance their $200,000 house for two fifty, dollars And then they take that extra fifty, and they go down to the mall. They buy a plasma TV, uh, cell phones, computers, uh, an SUV, and hey, why not a second home while we're at it? Because gee whiz, I mean, we all know the prices of houses in America always go up, right? And it's greed that makes the government in this country cut the interest rates to 1% after 9-11. 
so we could all go shopping again. And the beauty of the deal, no one is responsible because everybody's drinking the same Kool-Aid. There we go. His reflection on that, that no one's responsible or no one's willing to take responsibility or in our minds we think we're not responsible and we're all just sitting around drinking the same Kool-Aid. We're all deceived by the reality. We've deceived ourselves. We believe this reality to be true and we're just all marching down the pike, you know, drinking the same Kool-Aid, not aware of the difficulty of the life that we've chosen. We choose a life of greed and how greed led to the collapse the collapse of our world. In fact, you go back and study the collapses. You look at the last one, when we, right before the Depression, you look at the banking industry, and uh, you look at the greed that happened in the banking industry by a few that, that some would say led to the last collapse that we had in America, led to the Great Depression. And you can just see on and on as you go through history, you can see how greed has led to it, and we just all drink the same Kool-Aid. We just keep going along, believing that somehow that we can still live that lifestyle. We can still have those promises and we're not going to have to pay the price. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about greed. In fact, I was blown away, honestly, uh, by how much the Bible, last, like last week about pride, I couldn't believe how much it said about pride. But greed, when it comes to that, you know that 500 times the Bible talks about faith. 500 times the Bible talks about prayer. Over 2,500 times the Bible talks about money, finances, possessions, acquisition, and greed, what you do with that. Over 2,500 times the Bible talks about it because God knows the power of greed to hijack our lives and lead us to destruction. Now, Jesus, by the way, we just finished our series on the Jesus stories, and we looked at Jesus' parables. He taught 38 parables. 16 of them had to do with finances and money and greed, and what are we going to do with the possessions that we have in life? Now, the Bible's full of it. Here's an example for you from the New Testament, book of 1 Timothy. Paul is writing, and it's the verses actually John read to us a few moments ago. People who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires. So we're trapped by our desires, that plunge them, notice that, into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money. Money is not the root of evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And then he says this, Some people craving money have wandered from the true faith, and they have pierced themselves with many sorrows. You just might underline that, pierced themselves with many sorrows. There's the gravity of, of greed, of what we're looking at today as we look at that. Now, greed is destructive when we spend our time and our talents and our treasures for the sole purpose of gaining more treasures, for the sole purpose of gaining more possessions and more stuff. Because what happens with greed, when I give in to greed, it turns me away from the truly meaningful pursuits of life and God would be the first pursuit of life, but the second pursuit of life that's meaningful is people and relationships. And anytime I give in to the pursuit of greed, I will compromise and even kill my relationships in the pursuit of an inanimate object that can neither give nor receive love. So I give myself, instead of to that which will fulfill me and give me all of love, I give myself to something that can't give or can't receive love in any way. So I give myself to clothes, I give myself to cars, to houses, to toys, to gold, to retirement homes, to RVs, to 
boats to I just the list could just keep going on and on of all the things I give myself to, believing that if I give myself to this, that I'm going to have some return on my investment that's going to be good. And yet the Bible says that if I continue to give myself to that as my sole purpose, it's going to ultimately lead me to death. You think about that. How many families, how many marriages, how many careers have been derailed by greed? How many people have literally worked themselves into a heart attack simply because of greed? How many marriages have been split right down the middle? The, uh, the research shows that the, the 50% of all marriages end because of financial struggles. Been split right down the middle because of greed. How many families on the surface look to be loving and trusting and then someone died and there was an inheritance to deal with? And then you found out the opposite. <laughs> and their family gets hijacked by greed. See, greed impacts us all. In fact, in the surveys that are done of Americans, yearly surveys done of Americans, when they ask Americans, what is your number one worry, the number one response every year is money and finances. Money and finances. The number one worry is the economy. That's why, folks, elections are won not by values. Elections are won by promises of a better future. To, I will get past this economic place I'm in now to a better place. Okay, so let's define greed. I just want to define it, and then we're going to look at it for a little bit. Greed is the insatiable desire for more. It's the insatiable, unquenchable desire for more. To always need more in order to be okay. Greed deceives us. And the way it deceives us is it thinks the more we have, the more we can use, and we ache for stuff that never helps us. So I'm going to give you three things uh, that when we, you want to fill this in, buy the lie, greed causes us to buy the lie, and then I want to tell you what it is. Buy the lie. Buy the lie that more will make me more happy first. Make me more happy. So all you grammar experts, just leave me alone. Okay. It'll make me more happy. Now, if it were true, then the wealthiest people would be the happiest, right? If it were true, they'd be the happiest. But research shows that's not the case at all. In fact, our Andrew Carnegie one time was quoted as saying, he, he said, after observing many millionaires, he says, I, after observing many people, he said, I've never observed a millionaire in today's world that would be a billionaire with a smile on his or her face. So never observed one with a smile on his or her face because having more won't make me more happy. Second, greed caused me to buy the lie that having more will make me more valuable or important. That having more will make me more valuable or make me more important in some way. See, we have the concept and we've been given this idea and we buy it hook, line, and sinker that what we, who we are is what we own. Who we are is what we own. That's why we have to wear buy, drive, be seen, and doing certain activities or having certain possessions because those denote someone of value. If you have that, then you are somebody. You've got to have the right purse, got to have the right car, have to live in the right neighborhood, have to go to the right vacations, uh, have to ride the right friends, your kids have to go to the right colleges, and on and on and on, that because we've bought into this lie that what we have makes me more valuable or more important, so I've got to work for this and strive for it so that I can 
be more valuable. That's why we buy into the reality of keeping up with the Joneses. And we're always trying to, you know, oh, we're looking to see what our neighbors have. And, oh, they, I've got to have, I've got to be as valuable as they are. And I just want to say this, your value is not based on your valuables. It's not based on your valuables. Third idea is this. Greed causes me to buy the lie that having more will make me more secure. And I think this is the most insidious lie that greed gives us. It will make me more secure. See, the belief is that the more I have, the more secure I will be. And I had a long conversation with somebody today who walked me through everything this individual had before the collapse. And he said to me today, you were talking to me. And it was immense. And he said, it's all gone. Every bit. And he said, I believed the lie that I was secure for my future. And I believed because, and it just made me greedy to have more because I had to keep building it up. See, people think this. They think if I would have more money, I would have less to worry about. You probably heard that or even thought that yourself. See, the opposite is actually true. The more you have, the more you get to worry. (laughs) The more you have to worry about. And Ecclesiastes is a great book that talks about life. And these two verses, three verses here, really speak to what I'm talking about. It says, those who love money will never have enough. So right up front, just know that. How meaningless it is to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. Okay, there you go there. How many of you have said, I've been there, done that, right? You know that to be true. Especially if you, know, you have you know, kids, boomerang kids who come back and they, okay, that won't even go there. And it says this, so what good is wealth? And I thought this was just funny, just funny. Because it says what good is wealth, meaning wealth is good. So I'm thinking about something good here. And so it's good. So what good is wealth? So the benefits of wealth, basically what it's saying here, except to watch it slip through your fingers. So it's saying it's valueless in any other way, but it's valuable because I can see that it didn't have meaning and it slips through my fingers and it is gone. People who work hard sleep well, whether they have eat little or have much. So in other words, you can work hard and you can have a lot and you can sleep well and you can have a little and sleep well, but it says this, but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep, seldom get a good night's sleep. Now, what we're going to do now is we're going to watch a video, and uh, it's of two people, and they bought into this lie, the cultural lie, that more will make them uh, more important, that it will make them more valuable, and it will make them more happy, and it will make them more secure. And they gave in to some cultural norms that we would all maybe find ourselves in, and it's slapstick, it's over the top, but let's watch this drama about the ad-aholics, okay? Hi, I'm Al. I'm Alice. And uh, we're alcoholics. It's not easy coming out like this and admitting our addiction to advertisements. You know, we didn't start out this way. No one ever plans on being an alcoholic. No, it's just we're the alcoholic after that first look at an advertisement or a flyer. It's just a matter of time. It wasn't long before the Sunday paper ads weren't enough. I started sneaking peeks at the Craftsman tool section in the Sears catalog, and that led to subscriptions. Ace, Lowe's, Home Depot, all the hard stuff, delivered in plain brown wrappers. I told her that I liked the articles. It became difficult for me to hold down a job. I'd end up in bed all day with a splitting headache from a QVC binge the night before. When the girls came along, I just switched over to Pottery Barn Kids and Toys R Us catalogs. 
To everyone on the outside, we were the all-American family. But privately, we struggled 24-7 trying to figure out ways to pay for our growing dysfunction. Things just kept getting worse. We started going online. I'd have friends telling me how they hated pop-ups. I couldn't get enough of them. We started associating with a whole new group of people, going to parties where... I need a minute. Well, they were couples, and they would openly swap their catalogs. We'd spend hours watching TiVo programs. We'd skip through the shows just so that we could watch the commercials. I knew I was in trouble when I woke up one morning in the backseat of my car, clutching a ragged copy of a 1973 Sears catalog. I knew I had hit rock bottom. When I came home one afternoon, we had just started the cleaning service, and while well, she had thrown out all my old catalogs, I was desperate to get a peek at something, anything. So I snuck into my own daughter's bedroom, and I stole her Seventeen magazine. I totally OD'd on the peel-apart perfume ads. I wanted to be like all the smiling people I'd seen in the pictures. I wanted to buy whatever it was that made them so happy. But now we realize we can't afford it. We can't do the 90 days same as cash or the 0% financing for six months. We decided to check into the hospital together. It really hasn't been easy. For the adaholic, all you think about is that next sale. I'm proud to say we're in our third week of recovery. We're ad-free. We're going to make it. And at savings of 40 to 60% off department store prices, you'll get to keep a big chunk of change. Uh, <laughs> that's a lot of fun. Okay. So the question is, when is more enough? It's never enough, right? There's never enough. And so it's the insatiable desire for more. Now, I want to, at the bottom of your notes, I want to give you what I think is the most devastating cause of greed, the most damaging result of greed, I mean, is the most damaging result is it causes us, greed causes us to push God out. It causes us to push God out of our lives. What greed does is greed causes me to worship the creation instead of the creator. Causes me to place my hope in what I can have from the creation rather than what God, the creator, is going to do for me and in me. You guys are all familiar with the Ten Commandments, I'm sure. The first commandment's written there on your notes, Exodus 20, verse 3. God says this, you must not have any, would you underline any, circle it, highlight, any other gods but me. You see, folks, we're all designed with a custom-fitted core, and God designed it so that truly we are only fulfilled and we are only happy when big G God is allowed to fill that core. And anytime we try to fill the core of our lives with little g gods, stuff, creation, we will not only not be fulfilled, but as we're looking at today, that we will, it will lead to spiritual death. And also, it will lead to physical, emotional, and relational damage as well. You cannot have any other thing in your life that functions as a God for you. Greed causes you to push God out. It leads to 
idolatry, and it leads to fear. Now, turn your notes over on the backside. With that kind of, kind of setting us up, this whole idea about greed, I want to talk to you today now about how to break free from greed. What does the Bible say on how to break free from greed? Kind of three steps, and I would say three easy steps, but I'll just be honest, it's not. And I'm just, you know, I'm just praying. I've been praying all, uh, all these services before today that every one of us, including myself, will have the courage to do what we're about to talk about. Okay, so the first one is this. I need to do a heart check. I need to do a heart check. Now, greed is um, easy to identify when you have the extreme examples, like the Madoffs and uh, other people in our world that we look at and say, oh, that's the person of greed. I'd never be like that person. But greed is much harder to identify when it's in ourselves. And so as we can try to, and by the way, it's going to be the true way in all the sins we go through in this series. We have to try to see how the sin is true about us and be willing to admit it. A pastor from New York, his name is Tim Keller, and uh, I just, uh, Tim Keller is an amazing writer. He's got an amazing church in New York City. Uh, he wrote this, he said this, in all his years of ministry and all the thousands of people he has talked to, he's never had a single person come to him and confess that he or she is greedy. Not one single person. And the reason is, is that greed has become normal. It's normal for culture, and we're also, we're quite adept at hiding it and glossing over this whole idea of greed. So in order to identify it, I'm going to walk us through today how we might do a heart check. Here's what Jesus said, just kind of help you to understand why we're doing this. Matthew 6. Jesus says, don't store up treasures here on earth. Notice this, it says, where moths eat them and rust destroys them. So every treasure on earth, this would be true about Moths eat and rust destroys, and then also, possibly, thieves break in and steal. Instead, store your treasures in heaven. So the treasures you want to be working for in life are the ones you store in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Here's the deal. Wherever your treasure is, wherever you're storing your treasure, wherever you're giving yourself to, whatever you're giving yourself to, there the desires of your heart will be. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both big G God and little g money. You can't serve both. It's impossible. So you'll be serving one or the other. Now, as I've heard uh, hundreds of times uh, from different speakers and different books that I've read, as you go through financial peace, you learn this kind of thing. If you go through financial peace, the best way to know where your heart is is to know where your treasure is. Is to know where your treasure is. So I'm just going to ask if you'd be willing at some point, and maybe it's not going to happen this morning, I'm going to ask if you'd be willing to do a heart check. And here's, I'm just going to kind of help us out a little bit. Uh, I have a friend, and he has a quote, and it's an awesome quote, and here's the quote. The quote is this, facts are our friends. Facts are our friends. So when it comes to treasures right now, what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to be honest about the facts, about the facts of your finances, about the facts of your pursuits, and about the facts of your spending and the facts of your treasures. I want you to be honest about that. 
And at some point along the way, you're even going to maybe want to find a friend that you could share this with. You know, someone else, maybe in a community group or a relationship, that you could be honest with this friend about this, the facts of your life. So here's what it, it kind of do. I'm gonna, just going to help you a little bit. Be, this will be really helpful. It begins by taking a look at your budget. Taking a look at then your budget consists of what? Income and outgo. So it consists of your income. So you would, you know, write down, you okay, what are, what are all my incomes or my income? So you can be honest about your income. Some folks are, you know, kind of hide income so that they can have some, you know, leverage or security along the way. So you'd be honest about your income. You'd be honest about your outgo. And so you'd be honest about your expenses. And the way to be honest about your expenses, folks, is to look at your checking account. You know, look at that. See, where am I writing checks to? Look at your credit card statements. Where are we spending our credit? What are we spending, you know, getting on credit? And then we have to pay that off. Look at your expenses. You look at your investments. You look at your 401k. If you have one left, you look at your 401k and you look at that and say, what what am I able to do for the future? And basically what you do is you get all your investment and financial world out on the open on a piece of paper for every, I mean, for everyone in your family to see, but also if you want to have accountability from someone else. You need to look at your, your spending patterns dictate your, the condition of your spiritual heart. Your spending patterns do that. Now, I want to tell a little bit of a story here about myself. Since the, since the age of 25, I've been a tither. Okay, and tithing, the Bible says, is giving 10% of our income to God. Now, I settled that right up front. It's 10% of the gross income that comes into the Thompson family, whether it is from work, investments, gifts, any other thing, 10% of all the inflow I give to God. And I've been doing that for about 30-some years now. (laughs) Almost 30 years. Started at 25. Now, beyond the tithe, here's what I do. I give to other causes. The Bible would call this offerings. I give to other causes. So I would give, we sponsor children, we sponsor a child through World Vision, sponsor a child through our church in Uganda. Uh, and then I give to missionaries who have needs, who have causes. I give to uh, local charitable causes and to things out of the, out of the you know, I give 10% to God. And then I give to these other things out of the offerings, the what I would call the generosity of the Thompson household. Now, also, I give huge chunks of time to the kingdom of God. So I'm just telling you this. I'm, this I'm going to tell you to make more sense in just a minute. At the same time, though, I do this. I discovered this summer that I have seeds of deadly greed in me. See, and the Thompson household... We've been having lots of discussions about money lately. It's precipitated, you know, by the continual economy and how the prognosis is not good for the economy and, you know, for our church and salaries that we've had three years of salary freezes. Um, And so we've had discussions about finances and money. We've looked at our personal incomes and our personal spending. We've been talking about as a family, our ability to save for the future. We've been looking at uh, for the first time, we have kids who are, one, uh, my son's barking at the door of college. And how are we going to be able to afford or pay for college? And then we have another one that will be coming up in a few years. So we've been having family discussions about this kind of stuff. 
Now, in these discussions, this is what I discovered. I had discovered in these discussions that 10% of our income was God's. It was his. But the other 90% was mine. It was our families, and we could do with it whatever we chose, whatever we chose to deal with. So the conflict came. This is how I felt about it. So the conflict came when my family started challenging me this summer. We, you know, I told you about pride last week. The summer was great to teach me about my pride. Well, this summer we started having conversations, and we had a conversation about a spending deal. And what happened in this conversation about the spending deal is that I realized that I was functioning with a different set of values about the other 90% than my family was. See, what I realized at that point is that my family, they would look at every spending deal and they would say, is this in line with our values? And is this prudent or is this good stewardship? Not can we do it. Not can we do it. See, the idea for them is this. They were thinking, just giving God 10% does not give us the freedom to consume the other 90% just for our own needs when there's a whole world out there who has nothing. So we had some tension in our family over this issue. Just because I can doesn't mean it's right. And you got to know how frustrating and how rewarding it is to have your 17-year-old and your 11-year-old teach you that you have a greedy heart. Discussions got heated, honestly, because we processed these things because I wasn't willing to give in. Uh, and I felt myself, you know, wanting to power up and uh, do it my way uh, because I really didn't want us to do it differently at that point. I was really being selfish. And I said to them, I said, you have no idea how much I give. Okay, back to last week. That was pride, okay? <laughs> I said, you have no idea how much I give. So it's okay for me to take this for me and to use it for me because I can. Well, luckily we worked through all that. And as a family, and um, I gave in. Oh, I'm so glad I did. It's unified us in some ways. We had joy in some ways, but also I'm so glad because lately I've been looking at, you know, our vision for our church and who we are, and God directed me right back to this next verse on your notes. Mark chapter 12, Jesus says this, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. So there's the 10 commandment right there, first commandment. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart. Would you circle that word? All your heart, all your stroll, all your mind, and all your strength. So would you circle all those alls there? And it reminded me of a phrase I heard a long time ago when I was thinking about this, that all means all. That's all all means. So God was saying, give me my all. And what Jesus is saying here, and what, I've, what I'm trying to learn, and, and I'm still in process on this one, you got to know that, is that when I give him my all, not here's your portion, God, and then here's the rest, I get to do with what I want, but when I give him my all, and he's the owner of all, and he's the leader of all, and he calls the shots for all, then life makes sense. But when I don't give him my all, 
that's when I get confused, and that's when I make the wrong choices, and that's when greed can creep in, and I can start doing things that compromise our values and then cause my children to lose respect for me and my wife as well. And so it's just been, I'm not going to say awesome, I almost did, but it's been a good experience as I've wrestled with this thing, what does all mean? And I just feel like I heard God say to me, and I'm not saying this is for you, okay, this is for me. Do I think, do you think I gave you the resources I gave you just so you can use them on yourself? Trust me. And I feel like that's the new place for me is just to trust God. Uh, the, the future is so insecure, folks. Not one of us can prepare for the future. We can be smart, but we have no idea what the future is going to be. Are we willing to trust God? And what we do with our money is the heart check of who's in first place, me or him. That's challenging. Are you willing to do a heart check? Okay, next idea is this. I need to determine to set limits. I need to determine to set limits. If I'm going to break free from greed, I need to determine to set limits limits. Jesus said this, beware. He was strong. Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. So what I would say today is that the Bible is clear on this. I need to set limits on how much I own. I need to set limits on how much I own. I need to set limits on how much I spend so I can have more to own. I need to set limits on that. Now, thanks to my wife, we've been, for about a year now, we've just looked at all of our stuff, and we said, this is ridiculous. And so um, she's been purging our home, purging our home, more and more of stuff that uh, at some point was important, I'm sure. Uh, But I'm finding out now it's not, because we don't miss it when it's gone. So she's been purging our home, and our kids are saying, do a garage sale, do a garage sale. And I'm saying, no, this this is another... Um, letting go. So we're giving it away. We're just giving it away in, in ways that we're trying to get rid of things that we own so that what we own doesn't own us in life. And so I want to give you a couple of phrases that'll help you to think about this whole idea of setting limits. One I get from my wife, and uh, you know, what I've always said that, you know, Kim can speak. She's like the Holy Spirit to me, and she comes in and speaks. Well, now I have two others and my kids as well. But here's the phrase she gave me a long time ago, and she lives this out in her life, and I see this all the time. And here's the, here's the phrase you might want to use to help limit, your, limit yourself. And here it is. Learn to admire without having to acquire. I've given you this before. Learn to admire without having to acquire. So you see God's wonderful creation. Do I have to have it in order to be happy? No. I get to see it. I get to be part of it. I get to experience. So learn to admire without having to acquire. And then here's the next one. And this is going to be the challenge for some of us as we look at our lives. Here we go. When you feel the urge, when you feel the urge to have something else, to buy something else, to leverage yourself in a certain way, here's what you would want to tell yourself. And you want to get good at telling yourself this. And this is what you would say. No, thank you. I'm satisfied. No, thank you. I'm satisfied. You say, no, thank you. I'm satisfied. In fact, let's do it together. Okay, ready, go. No, thank you. I'm satisfied. Let's do it again. No, thank you. I'm satisfied. One more time. No, thank you. I'm satisfied. Can you imagine how that would change your spending habits if every time it came, whether I'm going to buy or not, that I would say to myself, no, thank you. I'm satisfied. 
I'm satisfied. Look what the Bible says. It says this, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing into the world and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and we have enough clothing, let us be content. No, thank you. I'm satisfied. Third idea is this. I need to decide to be generous. I need to decide to be generous. Paul writes later in 1 Timothy, and he says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing their, up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Last week I said that humility is the remedy for pride. Generosity is the remedy for greed. Generosity is the remedy for greed. And tithing, giving 10% to God, tithing is a discipline that will strengthen my resolve to be generous. See, one way to look at tithing is this. It's an exercise I can do. Tithing is an exercise I can do, a discipline I can begin that's measurable. It's measurable, and there's accountability with it. I get paycheck stubs. I get bank accounts. I get you know, receipts back, and I can know if I gave. So it's account, it holds me accountable because it's measurable in some way. See, the purpose of spiritual disciplines, and tithing is a spiritual discipline, the purpose of a spiritual discipline is to allow me to do naturally someday what I cannot naturally do now. So if I want to be more generous, I need to engage myself in a discipline that is going to allow me to do naturally, to be more generous someday than I can naturally be now, do now. And that's the whole idea of tithing is I give now, it's measurable, I can be accountable so that through that I learn to how to be generous later on. There are hundreds of women right now up at Scotts Flat Lake and they're going to run a triathlon today. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking about the fact that I don't think there's a single woman at Scotts Flat Lake today that's going to run the triathlon who about 4.30 this morning woke up and said, hey, I think I'll go do a triathlon today. I don't think there's one that's out there that thought that. No, every woman up there today made her decision, some of them a year in advance, some of them six months in advance, some of them three months in advance, that on this date, I'm going to run a triathlon, and so I'd better start training so that I can do on that date what I cannot do now. And so they started practicing so that they could have a good showing at the triathlon that they're going to do today. Tithing is the discipline God gave us to allow us to be able to do tomorrow what we cannot do today in the area of generosity, to give to him. Now look at this next verse. Jesus says this. He says, you have been treated generously, so live generously. You bow your heads and pray with me for just a moment. I'm going to give you one more verse before I pray. And you just might remember it's Luke 12, 48. Luke 12, 48 says this. It's from Jesus. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And so, God, I just pray today, I just pray that you would help us to understand this whole er area and issue of greed. And, Father, I ask you now that you would help us to uh, 
even in just the, the, the short time we have right here, that we might do a heart check. Uh, we know the condition of our heart, and some of us know already how, uh, and some of us that have nothing can be just as greedy as those who have a lot. And so help us all, wherever we might fall today, to understand how greed has its hooks in us. And we pray today that you might show us how we could be set free. I pray for courage for people that they would do a heart check and they would just you know, look at the facts. I pray that you would help us to, to put limits on ourselves. And I pray that you would help us to work toward generosity. And some people maybe tithe and maybe now it's time to work on more generosity by even giving more away in ways that you would want to grow them to be gen- more generous even in the future in a positive way. And God, I know that ultimately this whole deal is that you want us to be free. You want us to be what Jesus said. He says, I've come to give you life in all its fullness. And you want us to experience that. And that's what this is all about. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.